Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Choose Inclusion for our Black Voices Matter Matter series. Uh, I'm joined by my co-hosts, as usual, uh, my wonderful co-hosts, Yubi and Mike. How are you guys doing today? Doing great, Nina. Yeah, doing really good. Cool, cool. Well, I'm excited to have this conversation today. Um, I, we have today with us the CEO and founder of Spora Health, Dan Miller. Uh, Spora Health has a really great mission. And basically what they're doing is they're delivering primary care for people of color. And uh, we're going to talk a lot today about uh, healthcare uh, disparities, um, the history of healthcare inequality, um, and a lot more. And so really excited to have you today, Dan. Dan, how are, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so I was wondering if you could just start off by telling us a little bit of background on you and kind of how you got into leading a healthcare startup today. Yeah, I think the uh, the origins of my story um, really date back, back to uh, probably my childhood uh, in middle school. Um, once I'm um, dating myself here, but once um, uh, AOL came out and I was the reason that we got uh, AOL in my household and the internet. And from that point on, I was just uh, hooked. I just, uh, I have a curious mind and um, to be able to access endless amounts of information to just uh, learn as much as possible and just follow my curiosity as much as possible is um, a blessing at that time in my life. And I'm really thankful that uh, I've been able to pursue a, a career, um, uh, you know, starting with that, uh, that sort of emotion and personality. And, and so uh, I, I started my career about 12 years ago in, in startups and mostly in research design and product roles. Um, but I've also uh, been an entrepreneur um, for the last um, seven years. And and I started uh, three companies over that time period and have generally started companies around solving uh, problems that I've experienced. And so the very first company was a company called Fresh Sessions, which is uh, rather was a, a marketplace for musicians to book studio time anywhere. Uh, so you could think Airbnb before musicians and, and studios, home studios. And in a former life, I. Um, explored being a recording artist and I grew up playing uh, the alto saxophone and piano and uh, was introduced to the operations of the recording industry and saw how archaic it was and, and really wanted to um, you know, create something better for myself and ultimately um, ended up you know, creating a, a business out of that. And the second company was um, a company called Level Therapy, which is a, a mental health practice that provides access to therapists through video, voice and text. And uh, this was a company, again, born out of a, a problem that I experienced and that when I was shutting down that first company, um, you know, I was transitioning as, uh, to be a caretaker for a family member um, that was back East and I lived in San Francisco at the time and uh, started to experience for the first time in my life, uh, chronic anxiety. And uh, again, for the first time in my life, wanted to speak to a therapist. And I used a, another telemedicine service and had a really off-putting experience and left that first session feeling more like a, a number than a person. And um, instead of going back and booking a second session, I uh, called my would-be co-founder and we built an MVP over the next few months. Um, and that ended up becoming um, uh, what is level therapy. And, and this time around with, with Spore Health, I was really thinking about not just problems that um, I've had exposure to, 
I haven't had any acute issues with health inequities or disparities, but I was really attached to looking at opportunities that I was uniquely qualified to try to solve. And the most abundant vision of a problem that I could address is generally um, healthcare, race-based inequities and disparities. And after speaking with as many people as I could um, about the, the issue and the current state of inequities and disparities in the United States, uncovered that uh, primary care is a really good intervention point to start to create some change, um, start to develop trust with a, a specific patient population that's been underserved uh, and taken advantage of um, historically. Um, and actually start to increase access to care and access to quality care. And then from there, we can start to, to measure uh, positive health outcomes. Dan, I, I thank you for all of that. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm super interested. I want to dive right in um, because you, you guys, uh, you, you had a, was it a soft launch or a hard launch yesterday? Uh, a, a hard launch. So we had some okay. press uh, um, published in TechCrunch and, we have a wait list available right now for um, our, our practices in uh, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Florida, and Virginia. Uh, although we'll be rolling out um, um, slowly in, in Pennsylvania initially and bringing on patients uh, shortly at the end of this year. That's super exciting, and I so I'd love to like I'd love to dive in and say, okay, so how do you vet out your 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 primary care network? I'd love to know, like how how does you know, what are you doing that's being super, super intentional about um, making sure that uh, uh, equity is is part of the equation from the very get-go? Yeah, so we have created a, uh, create a curriculum for all of our providers um, as onboarding that they'll need to go through to be able to, to join our practice. And so we're calling this the SPORE Institute. And we are creating very specific training modules for very specific competencies um, that relate to the experience for Black Americans. Uh, and so those are things like nonverbal communication, uh, verbal communication styles, things like motivational interviewing, um, helping our providers understand how to uh, work through uh, trauma-informed care. And these things will allow us to solve for very specific issues that show up in the provider-patient relationship when we're working with Black Americans. And so um, all of our providers will have to go through this training. Um, we're also making this available externally outside of Sport Health as well, because you know, this is aligned with our mission. Um, and you know, we start with helping our providers understand their implicit biases for uh, different genders and ethnicities. And then from there, we work on helping them go through the training modules um, they can connect with one another to discuss different cases that we'll, we'll share with them that revolve around uh, very specific um, uh, scenarios in which inequities and, and disparities uh, present themselves. But we also aim to create a safe space for them so that they can discuss their experiences with one another uh, because uh, after the first year of med school, health equity uh, is largely not um, a curriculum that is, that is taught. Um, it's not touched in, in residency largely. And so um, after that first year of med school, um, a lot of those learnings end up uh, becoming, um, you know, put in the background and implicit biases start to present themselves as, as uh, our providers become professionals, unfortunately. I mean, I'd like to take a step back and, you know, Daniel, I'd love for you to explain to our listeners, like, why is there a lack 
of equity and health? Like, what is the history behind it? What is the experience of Black people as they interact with the healthcare system as it exists today? Yeah, so the short answer is all the inequities that exist today and the disparities that exist today exist because they're products of the design of the system. And that's not to say that um, acutely that, uh, you know, at large, the uh, U.S. healthcare system has been designed to, um, uh, to to continue to take advantage of a specific populations. Although there there are points in history where that has uh, very intentionally been the case, uh, namely um, the Tuskegee experiments, in which um, the U.S. federal government um, funded a program to to give black men syphilis uh, to um, uh, keep tracks of of the of the condition, how it impacted um, uh, individuals. And so there's a very dark history of uh, the relationship between Black Americans and um, and the U.S. healthcare system. And because of that, there is a lot of mistrust that exists from um, our community. And uh, it's something that needs to be uh, managed delicately because, you know, th th these are very real stories that have been passed down uh, internally from families and, and amongst the community. And for us to begin to, to change that, we need to identify the you know, root experiences and, and issues of some of these inequities and, and start to redesign the system so that we can start to, to measure uh, if we're doing a good job with, with specific types of uh, new approaches and solutions. And so that, that's where we are today. And, and um, I think we have a, a good start to really start to increase engagement and start to head in a direction where we're increasing outcomes for some folks. Well, I just, I wanted to, to and maybe this is just me, but <laughs> I, I, I just think it, it's fascinating that if we think about it and, and everything you've just talked about, equity has, there has never been equity in healthcare in this country for anybody other than white people, because you know, it, there's just the, you, you had said cultural competency at, at one point in our conversations, uh, there's that lack. I mean, it's just, it blows my mind. Like if people just sit back and think for a minute and listen to what you're saying, there never has been equity and there, there couldn't be because there was no connection. Yeah. Largely if you're not a white male in the United States, you haven't had access to an equitable healthcare system. That uh, the individuals and personas that were designing it, therefore, that's you know, who the experience was optimized for. I and Dan, in our pre-call, like you blew me away with some of the statistics when I was asking, like what, like what are some of the statistics out there? And I think it's super important for our audience to understand, like this, like what you're aiming to solve for has real, um, like. Uh, consequences, like positive consequences, on what's currently happening from a percentage perspective. Do you mind? Do you mind sharing some of some of the numbers that you were sharing with me on, you know, mortality rates and and uh, breast all all of those? Do you mind sharing some of that with our audience? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, they're they're very um, stark and, and uh, attention grabbing for sure. And, and uh, we'll start with mortality rate. And so if blacks and, and whites have the same mortality rate, 100,000 fewer black folks would die each year. Um, uh, looking at um, children with asthma, black children 
uh, have a 500% higher death rate from asthma compared to white children. Uh, black women are, um, I believe it's 300% more likely to die from childbirth than white women. Um, additionally, black women, are, they're less likely to have breast cancer than white women, but they're 40% more likely to die from the disease. And uh, also, aside from, you know, these, these uh, statistics that are attached to conditions um, outside of the mortality rate, um, black Americans also experience something called the weathering effect, which means they get sicker at younger ages, have more severe illnesses and are biologically aging more rapidly than whites due to cumulative stress. Now this cumulative stress has been uh, uh, sometimes pointed to and described as generally just living in a racialized society and racism, uh, but we do tend to see higher cortisol levels um, due to um, access, um, well, exposure to, to uh, more stressors that are uh, aligned with living in a racialized society. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I just see this problem is, is so much bigger than I think a lot of people realize, because I think, you know, the, the attitude in the U.S. is very much like healthcare is something that is not um, a right, you know, and therefore, you know, it's it really is kind of one of those things where if you see inequity in other parts of culture, you're going to see it in healthcare as well. Um, you know, I think one of the interesting things you, you started hitting on too is just the, the inherent distrust with mm -hmm. the black community and um, and healthcare. And it immediately popped into my mind was uh, you know Henrietta Lacks, and uh, you know for I'm sure you know about her, Dan, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> but uh, for for our listeners and uh, potentially for Yubi and Mike, in case you don't know about her, she was a poor black tobacco farmer who had her cells taken taken from her at, at a medical institution without her knowledge. And this is back in 1951. And, and those cells were then used to de develop the polio vaccine, cloning, gene mapping, in vitro fertilization. Basically like those cells made billions of dollars for the private sector. And she, she never saw a penny of it. And to this day, her family can't even afford health insurance. They've seen zero pennies from it. And uh, I feel like that that story is just like, it explains everything about why there's such a lack of, uh, or so, why there's so much distrust between uh, the black community and the medical community. You know, how is Spora Health, um, you know, addressing that? How do you start building trust uh, after hundreds of years of uh, just terrible things? Yeah, and you know, this is, very much an, uh, an ongoing process that we're being as diligent and thoughtful about um, as much as we can. But I, I believe it starts with any other, like how you would you know, gain the trust in any other relationship. And so first we're setting our intention that that is what we want to focus on. And we're creating experiences around that intention first and foremost. And so that's uh, everything from, uh, the actual design of the brand, uh, specifically things like tone, how we talk about uh, care in general, uh, how we talk to our members when we're communicating um, with them. Um, and then we, we focus on showing up and giving first. Uh, we're really aligned with being as accessible as possible. Anyone can text us at any point in time and ask us any questions, although we're not a um, emergency service. So 
Um, uh, but aside from that, um, we will answer general questions about health and wellness. Uh, folks can email us very easily. Once someone's a member, um, chat is, is very much a, uh, a primary function in the experience. And so we want to start normalizing talking about health and wellness and speaking to uh, anyone on their care team and just generally um, always having access to the care team, um, as well as sharing uh, access to one another so that we can start to um, create enclaves around, uh, you know, working towards very specific health goals or um, sharing information that has worked for us um, to overcome some of the potential um, uh, social determinants of health that may exist, or just to close some of the health literacy gaps. But on, on a foundational level, um, we are starting by that first being our intention, and secondly, showing up and giving first and as much as we can. How, you know, the, um, today is kind of an interesting and historic moment in the middle of a historic moment in this country. Um, but, you know, the, the Affordable Care Act case is going in front of the Supreme Court um, with an effort to essentially get rid of it. What are, what are your thoughts on that? And, and how, does, how does that play into to what you're trying to do? Yeah, a removal of the Affordable Care Act is a step in the wrong direction, um, I believe, uh, categorically. Um, we need to lower barriers of access to insurance because that is the barrier between uh, folks um, really accessing who can uh, pay for, for their health care. Uh, in the United States, um, you know, individuals paying for health care out of pocket is most certainly isn't the norm and, and folks are accessing care either through uh, some federal um, uh, service or, or directly through their employer. Uh, and so and, and all efforts that are um, increasing friction to uh, accessing insurance, are, we're, we're heading in the wrong direction or accessing, um, uh, excuse me, decreasing access to insurance or, or, or we're heading in the wrong direction. And so, for us, we're continuing to, to stay the path and making sure that we can support all our members as much as we can. And so for those that are commercially insured, it's uh, very straightforward and similar to you know, how they would access care. They, they pay their copay and they would, uh, can join our, our membership for a $10 monthly fee. For folks that are uninsured, uh, we still have affordable pricing, um, around $100 per appointment um, as they need, uh, but they can still access the, the membership for the $10 per month. Um, however, you know, from a policy perspective, I, I'm really aligned with with the ACA and making sure that we can generally increase the amount of access to to insurance um, at, at lower costs. Um, because you know, the lower that we can um, get some of these premiums, that the more folks can actually access care, and then we'll start to decrease the uh, overall cost of care per uh, individual in the United States, which is uh, extremely high and varies uh, 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 high quantities from, from different patient population to different patient population. Uh, but the root of this is that we need to get folks uh, insured and coverage so they can actually start to engage with their primary care providers and um, other healthcare professionals um, at a higher frequency before they get sick. Um, so that when they actually, uh, uh, unfortunately, so that, you know, they hopefully they don't get uh, extremely sick or get diagnosed with some chronic condition that you know, lowers their quality of life and is very expensive, not just for them, but for uh, the healthcare system as well. 
So Dan, I'm curious to, to find out what, you know, this is a, a, a question I ask a lot of our guests because, um, you know, I think the work that we're all doing is in the hope and vision that will be world changing. And, uh, you know, with, with the success of like the things that you're doing with Spora Health and the, the massive changes that you're looking to make, and um, care delivery for the black population. What do you what do you want the world to look like in, in 20 years? I'm really aligned with making sure that, you know, again, setting the intention right now for uh, the folks that we're serving, um, that black Americans can live healthier, more joyful lives because they have access to care period and also access to providers that understand them and want to understand them and if we can do that then we'll start to see increases in quality of life i think people will be um, obviously healthier but uh, i'm more aligned with helping individuals um, really live more fulfilling and joyful lives and right now the current manifestation of that is, is you know providing better access to health care uh, and so in 20 years, I would like to be able to do that for as many people as possible in starting with uh, folks that have really haven't been served um, directly with their needs in mind. And again, um, right now, uh, that's aligning with, with people of color generally in the United States. What, why, uh, why now? Why do you think like, this is such, this is like the, the perfect time. Cause I think, you know, this, this year has been a year and <laughs> you know, there, there are certainly, um, you know, th there are certainly amazing things that could have only happened this year. Do you believe yeah. that as far as this, what you're doing, this mission, this company? Mostly. Yes. And, and um, the reason for pause there is, uh, you know, th this could have been launched, you know, really, you know, as soon as we started to see, uh, you know, inklings of, of telemedicine taking off, which really started, you know, from a consumer perspective, we started to see a lot of segmentation like five years ago. Right. Um, but what happened this year is really, obviously because folks were, you know, cooped up in their homes, um, glued to some sort of screen, and, you know, we didn't really know, uh, you know, the full extent of, of what COVID-19 um, was and how it would impact uh, communities and, and different systems. Uh, people were, were, were making sure that they were consuming the news. And, and, you know, over time, we were starting to learn more and more that COVID-19 was impacting uh, some of our most vulnerable populations and um, really um, highlighting a lot of the inequities that already existed. And because of that, I think and that on top of a lot of the social unrest that was uh, happening around the summer, um, a lot of individuals decided to act. And I, I'm really thankful for that because I think this is a, a problem that the private sector needs to address. And thankfully, um, you know, we were one of the companies that's, you know, was uh, in a position to uh, uh, to help and partner with some amazing folks, just so we can, you know, continue to work on this mission. Uh, but had, you know, a lot of the thing, a lot of the events that happened this year not taken place, uh, it would have still been a struggle 
specifically kind of the education about um, how many of these, uh, really what the experience of, of some of these uh, underserved communities uh, is, uh, why it's really bad for not just obviously them, but generally the US healthcare system um, and how providers can help uh, address a lot of these issues. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's silver lining, but I'm thankful for, um, you know, uh, how a lot of this year played out because, you know, we're, I think we're gonna come out on the other end having a lot of awareness around um, some of the really pressing issues that exist um, uh, within healthcare in, in ways that we can start to address some of them. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, sometimes we we need a good swift kick, to, you know, to just start to wake up again. And um, so, yeah, I agree. I think in a lot of ways, 2020 has, has given us a few of those. Um, and it, in my opinion, it's it's a once in a lifetime opportunity for things to change. Like I don't know that we'd get another yep. opportunity for another however many years, right? So, um, I, yeah, I think it's just uh, I love what you're doing. Um, my my wife works in healthcare, and so it's 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 fascinating to to hear the business side of things, but then to have this conversation because at the end of the day, yeah, it's like if people, it's like we talk about when to companies about hiring, right? If if candidates can't see themselves represented in a company they want to go work for, they won't go work there. They won't be happy. They won't get what they need to feel like they're seen, valued, and heard. And it's the same thing with healthcare. If the if if a patient, you know, mental health is a great example. If if, if someone can't see themselves represented in, in a therapist, then then how can they truly have like a conversation where that cultural competency is critical? Yep. Um, it's just fascinating to me. So it's really cool what you guys are doing. I'm really excited. Are there any, are there any types of partnerships that you all are looking for? Um, you know, mental health centers or things like that. Um, at the moment, we are looking for partnerships with uh, health systems in okay. um, those four states that I mentioned. Again, they're Pennsylvania, Virginia, Tennessee, and Florida. Okay. And um, yeah, uh, th those are the um, you know, folks that we're interested in, in, in partnering with at the moment. Uh, reason being, you know, there are a lot of um, established systems for accessing care that are already in place. Uh, and so it's important to, um, to leverage those where we can and uh, make sure that we are, um, you know, aimed at really working with a lot of the, um, the folks that are already, you know, doing a lot of great work and, and just trying to help them, um, you know, increase their capabilities and also, you know, think about things a little bit differently where it makes sense. Awesome. Well, we will keep an ear out and eye out as well. And, um, you know, as always, thank you everybody for, for listening in, you know, the, the, these conversations are critical right now, um, given the trajectory of our country and the conversations that we're having and everything like that. And so thank you all for continuing to listen. Chooseinclusion.com is the place to go for, um, for going back and, and listening to all the other Black voices we've been talking to and a lot of the other amazing people doing this kind of work. That, that's really important. So thank you all. Thanks, Mike and Nina. And again, thank you, Dan. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you all. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Dan.